This is Trinity Western University's Chapel Podcast, where our daily chapel gatherings are captured and shared for the TWU community. Whatever your day looks like today, we're glad you're tuning in. today with a with a quiz a US cultural quiz anybody know who this person is did mr. Rogers make it above the border all right well when he became famous and when he would speak anywhere he would always pause in the middle of his talk and say we're gonna be quiet for two minutes which is a long time if I started timing right now we're gonna be quiet and I want you to think of someone who profoundly affected you now, they didn't give me much time today, so I'm not going to do that. But as I'm talking, you can kind of think of somebody who deeply affected you. If you asked me that question, it would be a man named Dr. Paul Brand. He was uh, a missionary surgeon, orthopedic surgeon, who worked with leprosy patients. In fact, he was given, he was offered the head of orthopedics at Stanford University Medical School, at Harvard, at Oxford, and he turned all three of them down to do one thing, to work with some of the lowest people on the planet. And those are people in India who were mostly in the untouchable caste, now called Dalits, who had leprosy. That's as low as you can get. They're already at the bottom of the social ladder, and then they're kicked out of their family, out of their village. And he was the only surgeon, orthopedic surgeon in the world working with, at that time, 12 million leprosy patients. He's the one that discovered that leprosy is not like everybody thought. Most people thought it was like jungle rot or flesh-eating bacteria because they would see people with leprosy who would lose their fingers and lose their toes and go blind. And he discovered the reason they do that is because they lack pain. They, they don't feel pain anymore, so they actually destroy themselves. They, I've met leprosy patients who lose all their toes because they insist on wearing shoes that are too tight. You and I would break them in. We'd take them off and put on slippers. They don't feel the pain, so they keep them on and gradually develop a blister, callus, and, and then a wound and an infection and then eventually the body absorbs the bone. About a third of people who have leprosy go blind. Why? Well, I've been watching you guys. You blink. You've been blinking the entire time. There's a little pain cell in your eye that tells you to blink 28,000 times a day. And if you didn't do that, try it the entire time I'm talking. Keep your eyes open. Don't blink. <laughs> you will feel pain. We have these lovely pain cells in our butts. And it's, it's why you kind of shift back and forth. And if you didn't do that, if, if you work mm -hmm. in a hospital, some of you are going to be nurses, you realize one of the worst enemies that you have is bed sores. You get bed sores when you lie on the same cells for four or five hours, cut off circulation, and the tissue will go necrotic, it'll die. You could get an infection, you could, you could die because of simple bed sores. We have these lovely pain cells, but those with leprosy don't. Well, I had never met anybody who was an advocate on behalf of pain, so I started writing books with Dr. Brand. That's what he looks like. I'll show you what I look like. <laughs> Would you trust your life to a guy who looks like that? But <laughs> I was 27 years old. He was in his early 60s, and he just turned over his life to me. And we wrote this book together fearfully and wonderfully, and it's called The Marvel of Bearing God's Image. I've thought about that word a lot, image. We use it in in funny ways, we, uh, you, you gotta have the right image. I noticed the musicians up here, you know, they're barefoot, because that's cool. Musicians, you gotta have the right image. 
in a lot of universities, they'd have tattoos all over and shaved heads, you know, but you guys are just getting to the barefoot stage, so that's okay, <laughs> you know. And I also noticed there's only one person in this whole gymnasium who's wearing a tie, and that's your president, because that's got the right image. If you're a college president, university president, you've got to be wearing a tie. You can't be barefoot with tattoos, can you, Mark? But I, I don't think that is what Genesis means when it talks about we are made in God's image. That image, that word, is more like your cell phone camera. When you, when you take a picture of somebody, you take a selfie, you say, look, here's my mother, you know? And you say, well, my, she's really small. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's an image of my mother, actually. It, but it shows something. So, so if you look at her, if you look at her, you realize oh, that, that's something of what your mother looks like. I, now I have an idea. I've never met your mother, but I kind of have an idea of what she must look like. And I think that's what Genesis means when it says we are made in the image of God. God is invisible. So the only way people are going to know what God is like is if we show them a little image, like a little cell phone selfie, and somehow in our lives we can express something of what God is like. I wrote a book called Prayer. Prayer doesn't make any difference. And I went through all the prayers of the Bible. There are 650. And the one that I kept just running into and stumbling over was the one that, where Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I realized I'd, I'd never done that. I never prayed for my enemies. So I was talking about it in my church. And I said, I, I, I don't know, if you, I brought some pictures of enemies. These are people who are enemies of the United States and Canada, you are serving with us. These are members of Al-Qaeda. They really are enemies. They're trying to kill us. They may be right while I'm talking, trying to put together bombs that would blow up Americans, Canadians, NATO forces. But I've never prayed for them. Didn't Jesus tell us to do that? What, what would happen if every church in North America adopted one of these guys, learned to pronounce his name, and just prayed for him? Well, I didn't know it, but there was a guy, a colonel, in the army about two hours south of Denver where I lived and he had driven two hours to hear me speak and he realized I've never prayed for them either. I've served in Iraq and Afghanistan. I've tried to kill my enemies. I never prayed for them. Maybe I should do that. So he went home. It's a true story. I'm not making this up. He went home and started a website called atfp.org. Adopt a terrorist for prayer. And if you go on that website, you'll see profiles of these terrorists, these enemies. And, and you read how bad they are and all the terrible things they've done, and then you have to agree to pray for them. Well, when he did that website, his commanding officer, the general, didn't really appreciate this. <laughs> I am trying to teach my soldiers to kill these guys, and you're trying to get them to pray for them? Why would you do such a stupid thing? That's the craziest thing I've ever heard of which is actually very close to the reaction Jesus' disciples had when he told them, love your enemies, pray for those who pray. Why would you do a stupid thing like that? They're our enemies. Well, because that's the only way people are going to know what God is like, what my Father is like. My Father causes the rain to fall, the sun to shine, on the godly and the ungodly alike. And that's counterintuitive, and that's not the way the world works, but that's the way God works, and we better be glad because we're enemies of God, and yet God loves us anyhow, no matter what we have done. And the only way people are going to know that is if you show them. I have learned that any one of us can bear the image of God, can go sh show something of what God is like. 
There's a passage in Ephesians 2 where we're called God's poema. That's the Greek word, God's poem, God's work of art. The more I think about God, I, I realize God is kind of the great recycler. He takes, he takes our junk and makes something worthwhile out of it. A few years ago, I got rid of my old desktop computer, this huge big old thing, and I, I took it down to get it recycled, and I was quite offended. I knew there was some valuable stuff there. I had paid a lot of money for this thing, but now it didn't run the programs anymore, and they made me pay money to recycle my own computer. And, and I know they were going to ship it to Vietnam or somewhere, and they're going to scrape little pieces of gold and rare earths, and, and then they were going to recycle it into this little cell phone about this big, which was far smarter than my computer ever was. And that's what recycling does. It takes junk and makes something good out of it. When I think of that passage in Ephesians 2, God is the great recycler. He makes us into poema, to a work of art. And I look around, and I know what it's like to be your age. I was. I can barely remember, but I was. And, and, and I know we're, we're all different. And I mean, you look around, there are some people who are just born beautiful. Young women, little girls in kindergarten, they just, there's something magnetic about them. And, and little boys will offer to, can I carry your school books to school? And later when they're in their 20s, men will stop them in the airport. Here, let me take your suitcase for you. And then there are other people who, in the morning, they look at the mirror and think, oh, God, couldn't you have done something better? <laughs> and then there are some people who just, their minds are like flypaper. They're trying to learn a foreign language, and every time a word hits them, it sticks. And, and they remember it, and others just work and work and work, and they're not so smart, and it doesn't stick. And you think, I'm a loser. Well, I, what I have learned is that God is the great recycler, and I want to tell you a, a true story about a person I met who proved that to me. I told you about the disease leprosy. I was visiting a leprosy hospital in Nepal, and I walked into this hospital, and there was a courtyard, uh, may, not quite as far as that wall there, but not all that wide. And at the end of the courtyard, there was a woman, and I've got to tell you, it's the ugliest human being I've ever seen in my life. She had had leprosy for many years. She had no toes left. They had worn down. She, her feet were covered in bandages. She had no fingers. They were like just nubs on the end of her stump. Her eyes were covered with calluses. She'd been blind for many years. Her nose had shrunken away, and if you looked at her, you'd look right into her skull. Not a, not a pretty sight. So we just kind of acknowledged her and kept going and got a tour of the hospital. When we came back, that woman had made her way all the way across the courtyard. She couldn't walk, of course, so she would move like this. She'd plant her elbows and drag her body behind her, drag her body. And she had come all the way across that courtyard because she heard our voices. She wanted to meet us. Well, I saw this woman and, and felt sorry for her, and I figured she must be a beggar. What else can you do looking like that in a place like Nepal? So I, I reached in my pocket to see if I had some Nepali coins that I could give her. My wife, who is a social worker in Chicago, who's here today, had a much more different and more holy reaction. She went to this woman, and she sat down and put her arm around her, and that's when I snapped this photo. The woman started singing. Of course, we didn't know Nepali, but we didn't have to. We knew the tune. She was singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I went away from that experience convicted first by my initial reaction and also 
overwhelmed that the God of the universe, a God who could spin off one trillion stars, looked at Don Maya, this woman, because the doctor told me, I want you to meet Don Maya. She's, she's no beggar. She's the closest thing to a saint that I know. In fact, every time the chapel doors are open, Don Maya's there greeting visitors. And do you have any prayer requests, Philip? Because for some reason, Don Maya's prayers tend to be answered. She's a prayer warrior. And I had judged her as a beggar. And, and God looked in Don Maya, and by any standard you can come up with in this world, she was a failure. She had no money. She had no beauty. She had no resume. She had no success. And yet God could look at her and say, I can make a comfortable home in Don Maya. I can make a poema. I can make a work of art in this woman, Don Maya. And he did. Sometimes I ask myself, why did God do it this way? God wanted to make God's own self known. So he did it in kind of a scary way in the Old Testament. And then he said, I'm going to show you exactly what I'm like. And Jesus came, the Son of God, who is the exact image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, just look at Jesus. And if your mental image of what God is like doesn't match up with Jesus, you need to clean it up. Because Jesus is the true image, the exact image of the invisible God. Okay, I get that. So then why the church? <laughs> why? I mean, Jesus only stayed around for three years of work, and then he said, okay, I've done my job. It's over. It's finished. I'm going to leave. Now it's up to you. So you go into Judea, Samaria, the outermost parts of the world, and show the world what God is like. That God of love and mercy who even loves enemies. That God who cares about justice, who cares about the weak more than, more than the strong, who cares about the poor more than the rich. Because we have these standards up here, but God has a kind of upside-down standard. Because you're made in my image. You're not like animals that leave the herd when, when the, that leave the wounded behind, the herd moves on. We're not like that. No, we're made in the image of God. And I'll leave you with my last illustration, which helps me understand the church. It comes from the little town where I live called Evergreen, Colorado. Only 7,000 people there. We have a high school. It has a high school orchestra, an actual string orchestra. They still do that in Evergreen. And I'll, it's kids who look like this, you know, jeans and T-shirts. And I love classical music. I listened to the Chicago Symphony Orchestra when we lived there 15 years, right on the front row. I loved it. I loved it. When I got there to Evergreen, I realized there's a big difference between Chicago Symphony and <laughs> Evergreen High School Orchestra. This group will tackle pieces of music that they really have no right. <laughs> and here's what I learned, that when the Evergreen High School Orchestra plays Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, don't blame Beethoven. <laughs> it's not his fault. Those screechy, scratchy, out of tune, out of harmony sounds coming out from that gang of kids is not what the maestro Ludwig von Beethoven had in mind. And yet every once in a while, every once in a while, they will hit a passage of harmony and peace and beauty. And you can see the, the parents in the stands of the gymnasium as the kids are playing. That's my boy. That's my girl. They're creating beauty. And you can see that pride. And I think that's how God feels about us, his church. Because so many times we get it wrong, but every once in a while we get it right. And we reflect, we refract something of that image of God. And the world can say, oh, 
That's what grace is. That's what love is. That's what justice is. That's what God is like. That's what we're called to do. One of the proud chapters of history, of Christian history, is that almost every advance in the understanding and treatment of the disease leprosy came about from Christian missionaries. Why? Because they were the only ones willing to reach out and touch and risk their lives working with leprosy patients whom they feared at the time. Sometimes we do it right. The treatment of leprosy is one of those times. But don't forget, God is a great recycler. He can make a poema, a beautiful artistic creation out of you, out of me. That's what it means to bear the image of God. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that this message has challenged, encouraged, and inspired you as we continue learning and growing together in discipleship to Jesus. Every week, you'll find new chapel messages on our channel from local and international speakers ranging in diverse and engaging topics. So go ahead and subscribe for the latest of what's going on in chapel. Much love and happy listening.